something my friend Brad Feld likes to say, which is the way he's learned to deal with that is to ask himself the question, what fucked up thing's going to happen today? Because something unexpected and completely fucked up is generally going to happen every day. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. Hey everyone, this is Dan Putt. I wanted to say quickly something about this intro, which, uh, as I often do, is a is a personal story of mine. But this one was, uh, it was probably the first one we've done where we were a little torn as a team as to whether or not to move forward with it. It's probably a little bit more open and vulnerable, perhaps dark. And ultimately, we decided to move forward with it because it is what I was inspired to share after hearing this conversation. And um, hopefully it will resonate with some of you. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it's a sound you would never forget. A sound that puts shivers down your spine, like it's igniting your most primal instincts, instincts protecting you from pain or fear or danger. And yet, it's a sound you only hear in the most intimate of moments, a moment we all experience, a moment critical in the circle of life. It's called the death rattle, and I remember it clearly in my mom's final moments. I'll never forget those moments, the way the light broke through the room, the echo of her final breaths, the way the rattle ran goosebumps down my spine still does. The warmth of her arm as I held it, appreciating how it once held me, and the tears and the shock and the pain and the anger and the love that swirled in the room around us. She once told me that death is as beautiful as birth. Having now seen both, I can say she's right. I lost my mom when she was 52 years old to breast cancer, and it was fucking hard. And life happens, and it's full of moments, good and bad, that we really never thought would happen to us. The magic and opportunity lies in what you do with those moments. Everything is workable if we choose to work with it, and if we choose to let it work us. Our podcast guest today, Richard Hughes-Jones, is choosing to work with it. As a former management consultant, He was always a man with a plan for himself and for others. So it was quite a leap for him to dive into the entrepreneurial world nearly two years ago, a place where a plan does not guarantee survival. Instead, he was quickly reminded that he's really part of a bigger struggle, one where plans most certainly do not ensure success or survival, a place called life. In this conversation with Jerry, Richard discusses his battle with cancer, the beauty of uncertainty and the opportunity for all of us. My name is Samira Rahantula, and I'm a co-founder of Innerspace. I would say it was really enlightening. It was really, really enjoyable. And we learned, well, I learned a lot. Albert Lee, 
the founder of All Tomorrows. It's really changed my life. My name is Char Genvier, and I'm CEO of The Coterie. It was a really amazing experience. My name is Matt Ellis, and I'm the CEO and founder of Cloudability. This thing, if you're ready for it, it can really change your life and your career. And as a CEO, you owe it to your stakeholders, to your staff, to your investors, even to your customers, to be a better CEO, to take the step, get these four days, and I guarantee you will come out of it a better CEO. Are you ready for a reboot? Applications for our 2016 CEO, investor, and co-founder boot camps are now open. Learn more at reboot.io slash bootcamps. By cultivating skillful attitudes of mind, we will respond to more and more of life with awareness and wisdom. With steady awareness of the way things are, the perseverance to stay with that awareness, and the willingness to learn from it, we maximize our sense of well-being. Steve Armstrong. Hey, Richard. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for for agreeing to come on the uh, podcast. Before we get started, why don't you take a moment, introduce yourself, uh, and then we'll sort of uh, take a few moments and, and talk about what it is that we want to talk about. So, Okay, so um, my name's Richard Hughes-Jones. I'm based in London. I was a corporate boy for many years. Um, kind of saw the saw the back of that and decided to set up my own business, um, which I did at the end of September 2013, uh, working with startups. And uh, been a bit of a journey over the last couple of years. I kind of did the whole jumping off the cliff and then I'm still building my parachute on the way down at the moment. Mm-hmm. But got got involved in coaching, working closely with startups, tech startups, and also creative startups. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, so you became a certified coach? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I became a certified coach in 2014. Mm-hmm. But uh, a little bit of a reluctant coach, but not anymore. Um, found my way through that, uh, and then uh, everything was going pretty good until Friday the thirteenth of twenty fifteen. Mm. Which month was that? January. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Friday thirteenth of February. Ah. So mm. pretty near the beginning of twenty fifteen, and uh, was diagnosed with colorectal cancer, mm. which, well, you know, was out of nowhere. Mm. So. Took me across on, onto a very different path for the last year. Um, coming out the back of that now, but uh, the journey's certainly not yet over just yet. Mm-hmm. So it's been a it's been an interesting few years. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were talking before we started recording, and and the language I used, and it seemed to resonate with you, was that you know. The arc of the journey the last few years has been I went from, you know, corporate job mm. to entrepreneurs and then slash coach. And, I, you know, in my view, as a single practitioner coach, you're still an entrepreneur. You know, I often think of myself as an entrepreneur now because, you know, we have a company and uh, we have employees and I worry about making sure that there's enough income to cover the expenses and, 
you know, are we building a solid business? So I carry a lot of that feeling and I think about marketing and I think about products and services and still trying to stay central to the ideas. And then to use my, my very colloquial Brooklyn uh, in this, you had the shit kicked out of you, no pun intended. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with, with the cancer diagnosis, and, and that was uh, just a few months ago, uh, just under a year ago, I guess, at this point. Yeah, yeah, 11 months ago. Yeah. So yep. here you are leaping off the, the cliff, building your parachute as you're coming down. You've just finished training as a coach. Mm-hmm. And I imagine in that moment, you've sort of said, okay, I've got it figured out. I know what the next steps are. Here's the trajectory. My amygdala, please calm down. I've got it figured out. And then all of a sudden, you don't have it figured out. Spot on. (laughs) And especially as someone who works in in kind of the strategy field and planning and execution, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, it was... You're right. I just got the business to a place as well where it was turning a bit of a corner. Mm-hmm. You know, there was there was there was enough money coming in to pay the bills, etc. Um, and yeah, bang. Um, I changed my attitude <laughs> towards mm-hmm. planning, uh, forward planning, etc. Not not in an extreme way, but I think this has made me realize this experience has made me realize more than anything how kind of complex the world is mm-hmm. and how yes you need to have a plan but you've got to be really flexible with it as well because whatever you think is going to happen probably isn't going to happen <laughs> that's right <laughs> and, and you know i think it's, it's the it's exactly the same in the world of entrepreneurships and startups absolutely you, you sort of tread this line between you you know, I, I am very much a, a planner. I don't believe in not having any plan at all. Mm. But, uh, yeah, there's no point being too rigid about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's definitely been a learning point. Yeah. It, you know, it reminds me, there's a, there's a piece in a talk I often do. The talk is called Being Fierce. And I, I talk about the six challenges of leadership. Mm-hmm. But in some ways, it's really the six challenges of being human. Mm. And one of those is dealing with uncertainty. Mm. And I usually, I I make a few jokes. The first is that I can always tell when a client is at a maximum moment of complete anxiety, Mm -hmm. when they come into my office and they plop down on the couch and they say, I need a plan. I need to figure out what's going to happen. Right. And I know it from my own sense. I mean, you know, I've got, I'm going through transitions now. We're selling a home. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. And I could feel myself, even this morning as I was journaling, reaching out for, okay, I need a plan. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And, you know, and then I laugh and, and I think about it because, you know, a couple of things come to mind. One is something my friend Brad Feld likes to say, which is the way he's learned to deal with that is to ask himself the question, what fucked up thing's going to happen today? Because yeah. something unexpected and completely fucked up is generally going to happen every day. Yeah. 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 And so that's one 
response to it. And, and then as we sort of sit with the, with, with the difficulty of that, you know, there's a, there's a painfulness of it. I mean, in your case, you know, the fucked up thing is life-threatening. Mm. Yeah. And, and for many people, it feels like it's life-threatening. Mm-hmm. Right? If I lose my business, that's my life. If I lose this client, that's my life. Mm. If the product doesn't ship, that's my life. And so much of what we do as coaches is to try to help people sort of distinguish and separate those things. Absolutely. It was um, the reason I left the corporate world and jumped off the cliff, as it were, were because I'd actually spent, uh, I'm, a, I'm a crazy skier. I love, love skiing. I love free ride skiing. And I spent six months living in my camper van in the Alps, skiing, skiing stuff that, you know, you, you, you really couldn't fall over on. Mm-hmm because you're going to hurt yourself and you, you know, you're in the back country. So you've got all the other threats that came with that. And genuinely I set up my business on the basis of this is going to be really, really tough. I might end up with no money, but it's not going to kill me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then, (laughs) and then 18 months in, I found myself in this position where I was like, fuck, this really could kill me. And I didn't really know. I certainly didn't know how to deal with that in the first few the first few months. Mm-hmm. I think cancer's just got this brand, you know, mm. that just someone tells you you've got cancer and you just make assumptions that the outcome isn't going to be good. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, that leads you into this world of dealing with acute uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been amazed with by the parallels of you know, between this journey and setting the business up, entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. um, really amazed. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, and it's, it's with, this, I've been reading some great stuff about um, anti-fragility and things like this, and I think that's really powerful in terms of how we try and use these events to come out of them stronger than when we went into them. And that's become one of my objectives, I think, is to make sure that this is turned into a, into a positive experience. Can, can I respond to that a little bit like a coach and a little bit like a coach mentor? Yeah, please. Um, and I'm not suggesting that, you may, that you're going down this path, but I'm, I'm not a big fan of the Nietzschean notion of that which does not kill me makes me stronger. Right. I think that that leads to a really fucked up, messed up, self-denigrating thing. Because when we hold that point of view and we experience the pain and the loss and the sorrow and the grief that are mm-hmm. natural, mm-hmm. we then use that as fuel to criticize ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I can see that. Yeah. So from one coach to another... I'm going to actually make a suggestion to you, which is similar but slightly different and really comes from a Buddhist notion. And it, and it comes from the exploration of my own existential and emotional challenges. Mm-hmm. And this is the notion that when you're steeped in the pain, when you're steeped in the 
fucked upness of it all. Mm. There's a very important Buddhist notion, which is that everything is workable. Mm -hmm. Meaning everything, every experience we have can take us to a deeper level of humanity, can take us to a deeper level of our own spirituality. Now, here's the superpower part for coach. Okay. Every single day as a coach, you're going to encounter clients who've had the shit kicked out of them. Mm. Whether or not they've had cancer mm. doesn't really matter. Because their experience is profound suffering, profound helplessness, profound fear. Mm. And as a coach, use it to connect empathetically so that they experience your presence even with your pain. Mm -hmm. Right? If you drop that very coach-like feeling that we can all have of fixing the person, giving them the answers, advising them, mentoring them, if we drop that, and we hold fast to the notion that they are whole as a human being. And we, too, are whole as human beings. Then, mm -hmm. in that moment, you get to connect with them. Mm -hmm. And they get to experience the power of deep, profound compassion and empathy. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's, 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 um, it's that process of exploring what's really going on inside someone's head, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Including the self-awareness about what's going on inside your head. Yes. Right. So it's, it's this dual thing where you're, you're doing it in service to them. Mm -hmm. And this is true. This is not just true for coaches. This is true for leaders generally. Because mm -hmm. every one of the employees that we work with, has a fucked up thing that's happening to them. Yeah. I was just doing a talk on Saturday to a bunch of entrepreneurs that are being trained and supported by Etsy's foundation. And person after person after person had an incredible story. And by you working with what has happened with you, to you, in a kind of brave way, you get to show up for the other person, whether it's an employee, whether it's a colleague, whether it's a romantic partner, whether it's a coaching client. You get to show up for that other person in a way that allows both of you to be real, allows mm -hmm. both of you to be human. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't mean to say, oh, cancer, here's the silver lining. That's fucking nonsense. Mm -hmm. But it happened to you, and it's yeah. happening to you. Yeah. And what are you going to do with that? You know? Yeah. Me pers what do I personally do with that? Yeah. Yeah. And that, so that's what we're working with here, is what does yeah. Richard do with what has happened to Richard? Yeah. And I don't have all the answers to that question yet because I think that's what I'm working through in my mind. Beautiful. And was, you know, hence 
a big part of the reason for talking to you today. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, undoubtedly, it's, it's, it's taught me lots of things that I'm now struggling to, to pinpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely a, the, this, this really important concept of uncertainty mm-hmm. and how we, how we deal with that. Mm-hmm. How we put our, or manage or try to put our anxieties to one side associated with that. One of one of the things that I found which been really tough for me to deal with mm-hmm. is I think as I was a management consultant before, mm-hmm. now I'm a coach. And I think one of the big things that you bring to the table in those sorts of roles is the, the idea of rationality, <laughs> you know, helping other people be rational, make rational decisions. And I, I you know, I've, I've had my experiences with anxiety before, and this certainly didn't help make them any better. Uh, I hope it will, I, well, I hope and believe it will in the future. But managing my own rational thinking was almost impossible. Yeah, through this process, and it was, it was this, this real oh, conundrum for me because you know, on the one hand, I think you know, ninety five, ninety eight percent of the time, I'm in, I like to think I'm an incredibly rational person, and then when you've got all this crap being thrown at you, it's it's just really hard to be rational, mate. You rational. cannot think your way out of a life threatening illness. No, but you try. <laughs> you really, really try. <laughs> How much time did you spend on Google? <laughs> oh, you don't want to know. You don't want to know. Because I think being being a problem solver by nature, I oh, I, I I read everything. Yeah, I read everything, and then I, then my mind actually turned more to this ish, this this challenge of you know how we can how we can help ourselves make some better decisions. I got some. I got some big decisions thrown at me during the process, especially after the operation. There was because uh, I had a six-hour operation, mm-hmm. um, and there were some issues there around whether it was successful or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where uh, a week after being cut open, the surgeon explained to me that um, it hadn't quite gone according to plan, and uh, his recommendation was that I had another operation two weeks later. Oof. And uh, he, he he couched it in the way that this is a group. This is a, this is a team decision. You, me, and the oncologist. And then his next sentence was, "But ultimately, it's up to you." Right. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, thank you." Right. So it's not a group decision. <laughs> it's my decision, and my life depends on it. And I think at that moment, I realised just you know how how important it is to process all the information that you've got and come to rational decisions good decisions and what i realize is that the decision it doesn't have to be it doesn't necessarily have to be right because no one knows whether it's the right decision at the time but you just have to be comfortable that it's a good decision right. and again i'm my mind flipped back into the you know business world there and leadership because you you're making decisions all the time and you don't know whether it's a good decision. Because <laughs> you can't, 
I often say you can't A-B test life. No, exactly. You can't. You can't test both sides of a decision and then see which one is the better decision. Exactly. You actually have to do, you have to gather all the data that you can. Yeah. And then you have to listen to what the Chinese refer to as your second brain, your gut. Yeah. Your felt sense of the world. Yeah. And to me... As, as someone who also relied so heavily on a prodigious, clever brain. Yeah. When I came to realize that the amount that I could figure out was so limited compared to the amount that I needed to feel my way through. Yeah. I was scared. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I have never had the same kind of life-threatening immediate, acute, life-threatening, focusing uh, experience that you had. Mm. And I, I really can, can uh, I, I'm doing my best to really understand. In that moment, there you are trying to decide whether or not you're going to have a second surgery. Mm. And you have to take in all the data and then you have to go with your feeling. Yeah, and, and the biggest thing for me was, as I, as I just mentioned earlier not i'll get my words right here but not whether it was the right decision i.e right or wrong as in would the cancer come back in the future because i didn't have the operation i chose not to have the operation but that it was a good decision if it did come back i would be able to look back and say okay i got it wrong (laughs) but it was still a good decision (laughs) based on the information that I had available to me at the time and also based on the people that were around me yeah. again was something that I think is I'm not trying to take all this back to a business context but the, the, the parallels are really profound you know the, the, sort of the people that you surround yourself with especially in startup world where everyone's trying to give you advice I, th- I think you're. I think you're spot on correct, and I think the reason that those parallels exist is not some false construction of the intellect. It's like I'll read something in Buddhism and I'll say that's a perfect business story. Well, the truth is, there's no. Uh, it, it, it 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 it's it's the way we are wired in which that our lives are so experientially integrated. Yeah. Right. Um, and so. The reason the parallels exist is because when you walk into the doors of your office, you're dealing with a bunch of human beings. When you walk into the doors of a hospital, you're dealing with a bunch of human beings. When you look in the mirror, you're dealing with a human being. It's the human experience that is this common denominator that ties every one of these things together. And that's why the parallels are there. Because the problem with even the phrase the parallels are there is it points out our emotional shock that the thing that I'm experiencing in one part of my life seems to be relevant in this other part of my life. And the reason it's relevant is because you're there. Mm. Yeah. So I, I think, I think that here again is another expression of, Again, I'm, I'm not going to be Pollyanna. I'm not going to be some nonsensical silver lining person here. But this is who Richard Hughes Jones is now. Mm. Someone who has worked with cancer. Mm-hmm. 
and someone who is still going through that experience. He was a self-described corporate boy. He was a self-described entrepreneur. He morphed into a coach. So he went from consultant to coach to avid skier to someone who lives in his camper to someone who's experiencing um, cancer to someone who has, as you told me before we started recording, no siblings, but who just recently saw his parents at Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a whole bunch of other descriptors yeah, that yeah. define this human being. Yeah. And this is one of the descriptors that defines this human being. And bring the wholeness of that into the experience. Yeah. And I think that, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but part of the challenge then in doing that as a coach is obviously you, you can't bring too much of your experience to the table when you're a coach. I think the way I try to do it is I check myself through the filter of is it in service to the client or mm. it is in service to my own ego? Mm. Yeah. And that's hard because sometimes I probably tip over into my own ego. Mm. Because I'm human. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think that uh, if I can, um, as I said before, use the self-awareness and the self-attunement into the, my own experience as a means to help the client find expression to yeah. their experience, then it feels like I've done a good deed. It's the right thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's hard because you have to actually use your felt sense, not a rational sense. Yeah. Yeah. Does that resonate? Yeah, it does. It it does massively, I think. Um, You know, I've been coaching for a couple of years now. Mm Mm-hmm. I've still got a huge amount to learn on that journey. Um, I'm just trying to get the balance right at the moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I think I made a reference earlier to the fact that I was a reluctant coach. Yeah, you did. <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably worth expanding on that because Please. I've, I, I fell into coaching in many ways. I set the business up because I believed that it was a space to offer some good, solid advisory type work around scaling businesses, Mm. Um, but was doing that through the lens of a management consultant Mm -hmm. and through some really good, very close contacts that I got, um, was connected with some some you know very 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 good coaches and also and, and, and my, my my now mentor um, and I went along to this coaching training and I was I must have been a pain in the ass. <laughs> I was trying to, I, was, I kept trying to say I don't get the difference between coaching and consulting yeah. and now I understand the difference between coaching consulting and mentoring big time and they're all they're all subtly different disciplines That's right. but when I said I was a reluctant coach because I, I thought it was all about you know the power of positive thinking yeah and I'm not really into that to be honest I'm yeah. I'm you know coaching isn't about sitting there and telling the client that life's going to be great because oftentimes it's not no, life's oftentimes pretty... you get handed cancer. 
Yeah, exactly. Life's life's pretty shit sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Like, really shit. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's shit. It's like, you know. But I thought that's what it was all about. And I I thought, I don't get this. You know, coming from a world of consulting, which is very practical, evidence-based, rational, etc. And, uh, yeah, so I, I did my training and then, started to get into it. And I, I suppose the, the key thing for me was, and I think it's m- more prevalent in, in the world of startups and early stage businesses, back to this point that there's, there's a lot of people out there trying to give people advice. Yeah. And there's, and there's some really good advice out there. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not being critical of that. Um, but there's also some really Shitty. crap advice. Right. And actually for me, what coaching does is it allows the, the the coachee the client to be to, to determine their own you know to come to their own decisions and own their own decisions mm-hmm. and i find that really powerful well um, i i think to, to to go back to your own experience your distinction between the right decision and a good decision mm-hmm. is incredibly uh, empowering yeah right and if you really, can create really Right. If we can create the conditions for those of us around us, if we can support them in making good decisions, yeah. whether or not they turn out to be the right decision, yeah. then the experience of being alive is a lot less painful. Yeah. And the experience, to take it back into leaders for a moment, the experience of being a leader becomes, you know, our word is resilient. You use the, the, the notion of anti-fragility. Right. It's yeah. very similar. It's like, yeah. OK, so this is what I decided. This is what's happening. This is what I'm experiencing. I'm doing the best that I can. Yeah. Right. And, you know, the, the, the funny thing about the advice giving and, you know, Parker Palmer, whom I often quote a lot, has a brilliant explication of advice giving and the dangers associated with it in a a wonderful little book called A Hidden Wholeness. Okay. He talks about uh, the model known as circles of trust in that book. And there's a beautiful explication around why we don't fix. And the fixing and advice giving are kissing cousins. Yeah. And what I have found is that... um, the advice giving, whether it's coming from a coach to a client or a CEO to an employee, or worse, from a romantic partner to another romantic partner, yeah. right, is feels, and we tell ourselves it's about helping the other person. Yeah. But really, it's about helping ourselves manage our feelings of helplessness in the face of someone else's difficulty. Yeah. And you know, if you think about it for a moment, the arc tends to go like this. You come to me with a problem. I tell you what to do, right? You come to me with a problem and you're upset. I start to feel your upsetness. Mm-hmm. I start to worry that I don't know what to do. So then I come up with a brilliant idea. I give you that idea. You're happy. I'm happy. And we all go off. Mm-hmm. Problem is I actually have not helped you over the long term. Not right. And that's, you know, if you can hold on to that, that, that's a key difference between mentoring, consulting, advice giving, and coaching. Absolutely, yeah. Right? Because what we want is that employee, romantic partner, child, parent, sibling, 
employee mm. to walk away not needing us in quite that way anymore. Yeah. For sure. Right? And that's also scary. It is, yeah. But it was, it was, it, it was, it, it, so it, it's, you know, it brings me back to the parallel of what having this illness has done for me in a positive sense. So without getting too carried away with notions mm. of anti-fragility, et cetera, but just the idea that I, I take learning experiences from this mm. is important to me mm -hmm. because I, I think it, that, that moment where I was put in that situation really made me realize how important the ability to, to, to make decisions is. Mm -hmm. to, to use your own judgment, mm -hmm. to be reliant on others, but not totally reliant on others. Right, to have your own sense of agency. Yeah, yeah, no. to, yeah. This is your life. Yeah. I mean, as the surgeon said to you, ultimately, it's your life. Yeah. Right? And in the storm of all the uncertainty that's happening, you can sit. In fact, I'd like to read you something if I can. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is from a little book uh, called um, Comfortable with Uncertainty. Okay. I'm writing all these books down, by the way. <laughs> sure. And Comfortable with Uncertainty is written by Pema Chodron, P-E-M-A-C-H-O-D-R-O-N. She's an American Buddhist nun and okay. one of my teachers. And this little book, which is called 108 Teachings on Dealing with Uncertainty. Okay. She writes, All around us, the wind, the fire, the earth, the water, are always taking on different qualities. We also change like the weather. We ebb and flow like the tides. We wax and wane like the moon. We fail to see that like the weather, we are fluid, not solid. And so we suffer. What we fail to see is that we can use everything we do to help us to realize that we're part of the energy that creates everything. If we learn to sit still like a mountain in a hurricane, unprotected from the truth and vividness and the immediacy of simply being part of life, that then we are not this separate being who has to have everything turn out our way. When we stop resisting and let the weather simply flow through us, we can live our lives completely. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It, yeah. Kind of sums it up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I think, I think, you know, when we think about strategies for dealing with uncertainty, Sure, develop a plan. You had a plan with your team, your oncologist, your surgeon, perhaps a nutritionist, perhaps an acupuncturist. Mm -hmm. You had a plan, and you were the head of that team, and that was brilliant and important. And you didn't know what was going to happen whether or not you did the surgery. You didn't know. And so you still have to sit at the top of the mountain, in the midst of a hurricane. Yeah. And that's what we're called to do all the time. Yeah. 
I feel like I'm much better equipped to do that now because of this experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's back to the taking the positives from it. Yeah. Uh, Without giving in to the kind of false pretense of over-reliance on positive psychology. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I, and that's what you were talking about at the start, isn't it? And I'm completely with you on that. Because otherwise you... Well, if you try and become too stoic, then it mm. potentially sets you up for a fall, doesn't it? Yeah. What I often say is, I don't tend to reach for happiness. Mm. I try to reach for equanimity. And a funny byproduct happens. I tend yeah. to be happy. Yeah. Right? And so if we, if we model ourselves and we move towards a kind of, can we have equanimity? Mm. Then we can as i said as, as i said to somebody this past weekend the goal is to get to a point where there's pain and it's okay mm. where there's joy and it's okay mm. where there's sorrow and it's okay where mm. there's happiness and it's okay mm. you know and and uh, you know i admire you and and what you've gone through and i admire um, here, not again for this sort of false sense of, you know, we're just going to, you know, thank goodness we had this experience. No, this experience fucking sucks. Mm. Mm. And I don't ever wish anybody to have this experience. Yeah. But you're, you're a better human and a better coach because of the way you're approaching this. I hope so, Gary. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story and exploring these topics with me. And It's really been a delight to, 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 to really spend some time with you. No, thank you. I, it's, the first time I, it's the first time I've opened up about it at all, really, publicly, and I've decided to do it on the World Wide Web. So... <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> and, um, hopefully another good decision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, thank you. I, I, I really appreciate the, the time to talk it through. It's, uh, it's, I think my, my, for, my thoughts are still forming all the time. Yeah. As they'll continue to do, but yeah, taking a lot from it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. And, and it was really a pleasure and a delight. So. So that's it for our conversation today. I know a lot was covered in this episode, from links to books to quotes to images. So we went ahead and compiled all that and put it on our site at reboot.io slash podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can find out about that on our site as well. I'm really grateful that you took the time to listen. If you enjoyed the show and you want to get all the latest episodes as we release them, head over to iTunes and subscribe. And while you're there, it would be great if you could leave us a review, letting us know how the show affected you. So thank you again for listening, and I really look forward to future conversations together.